Hey everybody, it's Maddie C. Welcome back to the What Am I Making podcast. It's really great to have you here. This time around, I talk with Chris Piasek. He's an illustrator who first made a name for himself by publishing a drawing every single day for a thousand straight days. Then, he just kept going. It's been 14 years of daily drawing, and it's led Chris to some pretty cool places. Let's get into it. How's it going? Welcome back to the What Am I Making podcast. I'm your host, Maddie C. I gotta be honest, every week when I sit back down to edit this thing and to put it out into the world for all of you lovely people out there, I am reminded what a badass my friend David Baldwin, who wrote and recorded that opening track, how awesome he is. And uh, I know this, and I'm, I'm reminded of this every day at least once, just as I think about what a wonderful person my friend David is and how talented he is and how much I love him. Um, and no, he's not paying me for this. Um, anyway, he's just great, and that intro is awesome, and uh, I just wanted to say that and make sure that he knew. So thanks, Dave. Um, things are good. How are you? Uh, been busy, busy, busy. As you can see, things have been uh, flying over at the Substack. More on that in a moment. A little bit of uh, musical housekeeping, first and foremost. The old stick-arounds, my sort of musical day job, my uh, my main squeeze, if you will. Uh, we are going to be back at the old Tip Top Deluxe in Grand Rapids, Michigan on June 3rd. That's a Saturday night, all you West Michiganders. That place is awesome. The first time we played there was a few years ago. And it was packed, and it was packed with mostly younger people, which is not typical for your average stick-arounds experience, but it was welcome and appreciated. And uh, we had an absolute blast, and I cannot wait, get, wait to get back to that club in a couple weeks. So uh, be sure to check out their whole calendar. Um, again, Tip Top Deluxe and uh, Grand Rapids, but if uh, you want to see stick-arounds, and specifically Maddie C., I will be there with my boys on June 3rd. And uh, that's going to be a whole lot of fun. So come on out. There's a band. Uh, there's four bands on the bill, and it's going to be it's going to be amazing balls, as the children say. Um, I can't believe this, but I only have four dates left to fill in my summer house show tour. I know I've mentioned this a lot. I know that I've begged about it a lot, and I'm going to continue to do that until I get home on July 16th. In which case, I'll probably sleep for two weeks after. I'll be like some sort of like middle-aged indie rock Rip Van Winkle where I'll wake up and it'll be a different, uh, I don't know, by the time I wake up, it'll probably be primary season in America again. And I'll have to hear about the age difference between Joe Biden and Donald Trump. Oh, my God. I, anyway, I'm just tired of hearing about it already. Anyway, um, so anyway, I've got four. <laughs> I don't know how the hell I went down that road. Just stuff I'm sick of hearing about, I guess. Anyway, uh, I got four dates to fill on this house show tour. They are as follows. If you could help me out, oh my goodness, would I ever appreciate it. And would I love to hang out with you. So here we go. July the 10th, I need a show near or uh, in Asheville, North Carolina. I'm going to be in Charlotte on the 9th, and I'm going to be heading back to the west 
Asheville makes the most sense on July 10th, somewhere in that vicinity. July 11th, I'm looking to get down into the Atlanta, Georgia, or Athens, Georgia area. If you know somebody in those areas who has a deck, a basement, a garage, a driveway, a patio, a small business, um, maybe some kind of small private space, uh, an independent little gallery or brewery or uh, wine tasting room, coffee shop, be, be clever, be interesting. Uh, doesn't be interesting. I don't know what that means. That sounded really, really shitty. It sounded like be interesting. If you're going to help, you better be, you, you better make me curious about you. You better be fascinating. Otherwise I'm not going to want your free labor to help me get you a show in a town I've never played before. Uh, clearly that's not, that's not what I meant. What I meant was, um, I'm, I'm flexible here. I'm looking for different ideas. So again, July 10 in or around Asheville, North Carolina, July 11 in or around Athens or Atlanta, July 13, I'm going to be in Knoxville on July 12. Then July 13, I need a date. Memphis or Nashville, preferably. Again, kind of look at those dates. The, the website is phonophorerecords.com slash house shows. You can go over there and find that. And then the last one I need some help with is July 15th. It's the home stretch. It's the last night. And I'm looking to do something uh, in the corridor in or around uh, Indianapolis, Indiana, and Chicago, Illinois, or somewhere in that stretch. Um, I am so excited and I'm so grateful for everyone who's already hosted and and offered to help and volunteered and people who have already gone, oh, I'll do street team stuff and uh, are sending me links so that I can try to get interviews set up. And there's even one person who's like, hey, you should do an in-store at this record store if you get here early enough. Like just unbelievable the amount of help and guidance and support that people in the community have already uh, have already offered. And I specifically want to call out two groups of people that I've talked about before in the show. And it might sound like I'm sort of pandering, but again, these two groups of people have been absolutely amazing to me, both in my life and in my pursuit of doing uh, this tour and in building this podcast in this Substack. And those, those two groups of people are the people in the stand up with Pete Dominic community. So those are going to be people that I've already had on the show, people like Pete and Maura Quint and Christian Finnegan and uh, Kevin Richberg, Barry and Abigail Hummel. And then there's a whole bunch of people from that world who have helped me put some of these shows together. And I will say the exact same thing about the guys in Rock in the Suburbs, specifically Jim Lenahan, who's one of the co-hosts. Those guys were on here recently. They've just been incredible. They have strummed up so much amazing support for me. They've helped me put some shows together. And without those two groups of people, there is absolutely no way I could be putting a tour like this together. So I just want to say thank you so much to all of them because it's really, it's humbling and it's amazing. And I'm so grateful for it. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I do want to kind of talk to you a little bit about, um, I guess, Oh, 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 good thing. I wrote notes. Cause I, I nearly, I nearly forgot. Um, so again, I need to fill those four dates, June 10 near Asheville, June 11, Athens or Atlanta, July 13, Memphis or Nashville, July 15, Indianapolis or Chicago. I know I just kind of stumbled through that, but you got it. Um, you can always check phone slash house shows for the dates. Uh, message me at what am I making at substack.com. If you have an idea for uh, a place I might be able to put a show together. It requires zero financial obligation. It's really quite easy, and uh, it can be a hell of a lot of fun. So please, 
please. Let's uh, let's hang out. Let's make something fun this summer. I've got those four dates to fill. If you're in the eastern half of the U.S., take a look at the rest of the dates and see if I'm going to be near you and go out and buy some tickets, please, because that would help me get there. You can go do that again over at phonoforrecords.com slash house shows. All right. I'm really tired of this self-promo, so let's get on with the show. Um, I do have a couple of longer-form projects that I have been working on, but I would really like to know a couple of things from you. Are there specific things you'd like me to focus my time on? Should I be looking at Ticketmaster? Should I be looking at uh, the state of live music, the rate of pay uh, with streaming services uh, more in-depth? Is there something else I'm missing? I've thought about starting a movie club. I've... uh, threatened to have a quiz style game show with my bandmates we've talked about doing kind of like uh, recorded little audio documentaries of what it's like to go on a weekend on one of these like small diy tours um all of that is possible i'd love to get some of your you to to input and contribute as part of the debutante darling series where we talk about great first records even if you've never written anything before email me or message me And let me know what you're interested in doing, and we'll find a way for you to participate if you've got a good idea. So let's build a community. Let's do this. I'm I'm already sort of getting amazing results and love from these other two communities, and I want to find a way to build that if I can and sort of do something in conjunction with those two things and then have a spot and a space that someday will grow to be sustained enough where we can offer this kind of help to somebody else because you people are amazing. And um, I love kind of finding a way for my craziness and my um, sort of uh, indomitable curiosity to, uh, to lead us to places where we can do some really fun shit together. So send me some ideas. I'd love to hear from you. Send me a pitch for your debutante darling. Send me something you'd like me to talk about. Um, send me guest ideas. Talk to other guests and say, hey, this guy's got kind of a cool show, if you indeed think it's a cool show, and you might be a good fit for it. Why don't you hit Matt up? So I, I'd really like to I'd really like to get some assistance on that front. So if you if you've got ideas or you've got um, suggestions, throw them at me. All right, let's get uh, let's get into my guest because that's what you're here for. You're not here for me to ramble about uh, how I need you to buy tickets and support me and help me book shows. You're not my you're not my booking agent. I know how it works. Um, so I I first really got drawn to Chris Piasek because of his inner teacher. And that was what really drew me, not just to his YouTube channel, but to, to Chris as a person. I'd, I'd first found Chris as I was beginning to learn how to use the Adobe tablet drawing program called Fresco. And once I'd found Chris's videos, I really liked his informal style, his conversational tone, and his incredible illustration skills really just kind of hooked me. I was really impressed across the board. And as I dove deeper into the tools available within that program, I learned more about Chris's work and life as I watched each successive video where he might explain some feature or tool of the program or some way that I could use it to better express myself as an artist. As I learned ways to achieve better results as an illustrator in Fresco, I also became aware that Chris, much like me, had been diagnosed with ADHD well into adulthood. Many of his videos focus on tools or even systems that Chris uses to manage his ADHD symptoms and triggers. And seeing this laid out so plainly was a huge boost to my admiration for Chris's work and his channel. But I'll also admit that it made me feel validated as an independent creator struggling to manage ADHD, depression, and anxiety. In other words, 
I felt less alone. Now, this chat with Chris is a great first window into his background and how he got to this point in his career. But just to kind of give you the headline, the center of his success is doing work every single day. His daily drawing project has spanned more than 14 years now, and it has led him to work with high-profile clients like McDonald's, Nike, Nickelodeon, Converse, Google, Facebook, Cartoon Network, and so many more. His work is still, even with those high-profile clients, filled with a playful humor and a lively energy. It is uniquely Chris P. Asik's work. I especially love the way he does his hand lettering. And in those videos where he teaches that, he's not only entertaining and enlightening, but he's also really funny and often very self-deprecating. He's really funny and he's really sharp. And he truly is a teacher at heart. His artistic skills and his talent are myriad, but the teacher is really what spoke to me first. It was what, was what made him stand out. And listening back to this interview, I realized I, I kind of just dropped Chris in a bit blind. I didn't give him an intro. I didn't give him any context. I mean, I'd set him up on the interview, but like he showed up and I, I just kind of went ahead. I was so excited to talk to him that I might have barreled ahead so quickly that he didn't really see the interview train coming. <laughs> he seemed within reason it would be very normal for a dude to feel blindsided by that. And so looking back, I realized that my excitement might have been a little off-putting. And so that's a, that's a thing I'm working on, to be honest with you, is how to, how to provide context for these interviews. That's a part of my show that I'd like to improve. But Chris handled things really admirably, and we headed off from there for a very nice chat about imposter syndrome, being good versus being an artist, and how recreating the Danzig logo over and over and over wound up leading to an entire style for a young illustrator. Much like Chris, I'm here churning out this work every day and every week, and over time it adds up. I'm thrilled to have had the chance to talk with another artist who believes so deeply in the power of doing important work. And he has the independent success to prove that the effort and that work can be worth it and can lead you to amazing places. So, with no further introduction... Here's my chat with Chris P. Asik. Hi. Hey, Chris. How's it going? I'm doing well. How are you? Good. Good. You're, thanks so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. No problem. Yeah, your studio is so nice. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate that. That uh, I, I know you just posted the video recently. Um, how long had you been working on the move? Um, it was a few months. Um, it was like over the winter. Uh, I had a contractor helping me out with like the structural stuff, and then then it took about a month to get like everything down here. Um, I have a two year old, so it kind of limits my time to do things. <laughs> understood yeah uh how how is life as an independent creator with a two-year-old i know that's a loaded question but what's that like let's just put it this way with a two-year-old what's it like today yeah uh well today is good because he's um 
he's at daycare so I can get some work done. Got it. Got yeah. it. Um, yeah. Understood. Uh, what's his name? Chase. Nice. And, uh, this, uh, the, this, this fatherhood thing came later in life than, than normal for most folks. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, unplanned. Yeah. Oh, I don't oh, know. You can have an unplanned one at the front end. My wife and I did that twice. Mm. Um, we did that. We did, we got married and, uh, 13 months later had a kid. Oh, wow. um, and yeah, it was, it was crazy. Um, but yeah. So, uh, I, I think probably the best place to start is, um, I found you because I wanted to finally learn how to like draw a little bit. I know that you probably bristle at that phrase, no. <laughs> but I, I, I wanted to like, I like I've done, I've messed around with graphic design forever and done, you know, album covers and, and posters and even done a little bit of like, like different work and stuff. But, um, I really wanted to kind of dive into Fresco and take advantage of the tablet thing. And I, and I found you and almost immediately I was drawn to you because you seem like not only a really interesting person who was good at teaching this, but you very quickly talked about your own struggles with ADHD, which I've just recently become diagnosed in the last year. And I was like, Oh, this is really, so like I was able to kind of dive in on, on, on two fronts. And so oh, cool. I thought it might be interesting to kind of be transparent about that up front and let that be a context for the stuff we talk about moving forward because as I have learned more about what you have done, it kind of it kind of dovetails with much of what I'm trying to do here. So I again really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, of course. Um, so uh, I recently found a thing um, when I uh, shortly after I found you, and it was a talk you gave at a, a creative conference in Boston, I think. Oh, Creative Mornings. Yeah. And, yeah, and and I was I was so in love with the idea of work begets work. And I've, I mean, I've only been doing this thing for like four months, but that's at the essence of what I'm talking about. So can you kind of elaborate on that phrase and maybe use it as a way to talk about how you got where you are? Yeah. I mean, that's like everything I've ever done. I'm, I'm not good at like traditional promotion stuff. I know like so many illustrators are always like really on top and they've got like a schedule and they like send out mailers and stuff like that. And that's not something I've ever done. So I definitely, attribute all of the, you know, relative success that I've had and the, you know, longevity of my career to like consistent output, especially throughout that daily drawing project. And the daily drawing project is actually how I even became a freelance illustrator. Like it's not something I even considered up until that point. Um, but just like posting new work online every single day, you know, it's, it's like a numbers game. So people are going to see it because it's just like constant. And it's also, you know, good on these like social media platforms that reward using the platform. So if you're posting all the time, you're going to oh sure yeah. get it in, getting it in front of people. So, um, yeah. And I mean, just doing stuff all like every single day, like makes you better at it too. So, I mean, there's a million different uh, benefits to it, I think. Well, and I, I mean, we, I've talked about this with other folks too. And, um, you know, I come at it more from a musician's perspective, but as I kind of branch out and spend more time doing independent creative work, I'm realizing that whether you publish it or not, um, just the act of saying something is finished and moving on to the next thing is incredibly powerful. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Cause you know, you could just noodle with something forever and not do anything with it. And you know, who's to say it's ever going to even get better at that point. <laughs> Right, right. Um, so the so you did the the first thousand daily drawings, 
and then that that kind of led to some uh some attention for lack of a better word mm -hmm. um and then like it kind of it kind of built into its own thing you were you were uh basically a hired graphic designer when you started the daily drawing project is that right yeah i worked in a uh i was an employee uh in a creative agency there was like um six of us so i was full-time doing that and what happened um well it was it was great but um it the, at the time the timing uh 2009 the economy crashed and like our studio just couldn't ha couldn't handle it and uh i got let go and i was faced with the decision of like trying to get another job or trying to make freelance work and i knew i would be miserable at uh, a different job because that job was uh, i don't know it was like um not typical like i was working with right with friends it was like music industry stuff and like you know that's those those kind of jobs are not that typical especially if you don't want to like move somewhere right obviously being able to kind of work in a way where you had a you know a w2 income and then be able to kind of do some of that more rewarding work as opposed to just doing okay do this local used car ad or do this uh perfume or whatever um do you think that in a way prepared you for doing your own thing like were you able to kind of take some lessons because you were at sort of a unique place um yeah uh like what do you mean in what regard well like like not trying to kind of like seeing a business that could function not necessarily anymore with six people, but seeing a place where you could do sort of meaningful, interesting work without having to run to the middle to run to like, okay, how do I get Applebee's or target? Like you were willing to go, I'll take these smaller things that are more interesting and more rewarding that also have a, a you know, some sort of small financial component so we can keep the ship afloat. Do you think that in a way allowed you to be a little more, not necessarily risky, but like, do you think that gave you some freedom in being able to go and, and, and start as an independent person as opposed to going, oh, I'll just go get a job with X? Yeah, well, I think because I had been doing the Daily Drawing Project for two years, almost two years at that point, um, I was starting to get projects here and there based on those drawings. And I think the thing that gave me the most creative freedom was that because people were finding me through the Daily Drawings, they were asking me to do things similar to that. So it was like I was able to be more creative because I was like doing what I would naturally do as opposed to like trying to figure out what it should look like based on the project. It was more like they're hiring me because they want me to do what I do. So, right. Yeah. You're not, you're not out there chasing a voice that will reach a customer. The customer is saying, Hey, I like this voice. Yeah. So in a way, like that whole idea behind work begets work and doing a thing every day. Um, and I've talked a bunch about it. I had a really interesting conversation about whether or not the idea of genius is simply doing something really, really well consistently over a very long period of time. Uh, you know, that whole idea, Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I don't, you know, again, genius is definitional, but, but the, you get the idea that like you, you build up a legacy where people go, Oh, wow, that's a, that's a guy who's, that's a masterpiece or whatever. Mm -hmm. I, I think you, I think you can only get there from, from a series of sort of repetition above and beyond whatever God-given talent you have, mm -hmm. right? Speaking of which, when did you realize you had a gift for this? Like, when did you know, um, I can do this and it's something that I love doing and as I do it, I get better? Well, I mean, drawing was always something I loved to do as a kid and um, I didn't really think of it as something that was unique. 
at first it was just something that I enjoyed. And then, you know, over the years, people would be telling me that I was good at drawing. My mom always tells the story of like when I was in kindergarten, I was like struggling a little bit because I was like, I was a little young. I was at that like cutoff age. So I was like younger mm -hmm. than most of my classmates, but they had this like meeting and she, the teacher was like, just adamant about showing my parents like these drawings that I had. And they, they just look like kids, like bad kid drawings. We're like, but no, you don't understand like these things that he, the details he's drawing and blah, blah, blah. So um, my mom always reminds me about that. But, you know, I always like people that like, I wasn't good at um, other stuff like I, in school growing up, like gym class. Like I didn't know how to, I was like bad at like catching or throwing like, so I didn't get picked in gym and I, you know, recess, I was like, you know, I, I was like, wasn't good at things, but like drawing is what gave me a little bit of confidence because people would see that and they'd be like, oh, you know, that's, that's really cool. And I'd be like, oh, all right. So, you know, I just kept drawing all the time. And that's what I sort of associated with like my self-esteem. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's how it was forever until high school. And when I realized that there was people who were better than me and then I was like, oh, maybe I can't do this. <laughs> <laughs> But by that, but but almost in a way like that had not necessarily become your identity, but it had become kind of a central part of who you were as a person, or how, at least how you saw yourself. Yeah, I know. So and that's why, in it was a way, like you, weird and like when I realized that maybe it wasn't that in high school, it felt like a just. I was like, I don't know who I am anymore. <laughs> and in a way, that kind of forces you to go, okay, am I going to keep being this person that I thought I was and work hard at getting better at this thing? Yeah. Or am I gonna? Or am I gonna take a a different track? Mm hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was going to take a different track, but I had a good teacher who talked me out of it and gave me a reality check. What happened there? So the reason I thought like I couldn't do it is because we were doing like these like fruit still life drawings where they just like the teacher set up a bunch of like fruit and baskets and we had to draw it. And I like hated doing that kind of thing. It was like no interest to me whatsoever. And I, but I was like thinking like, you know, obviously I would be good at it anyway. And, um, I remember like working on it for a while and then looking over and seeing this, this girl who was a friend of mine and like her apple looks so much better than mine. And then this other friend of mine, hers looked better than mine too. And I was like, if I'm not even in like the top two in my small town high school class, like I'm not good at this. So I like decided that it wasn't for me and it was, you know, I was mistaken. I couldn't do it. I thought it was all just like, you know, you either could do it or you couldn't do it in terms of talent. Um, and my art teacher noticed that I like wasn't taking the class you know, the following year. Cause like, you know, you didn't need to, it was an elective or whatever. And she was like, why aren't you taking the class anymore? And then I was like, you know, well, I'm not, you know, Amy's apple and Katie's apple were better than mine. And like, you know, clearly I'm not good at this. So why should I do it? And she's like, you know, <laughs> being able to just like render, look at something and like render it in like good detail and like make it look realistic is, you know, not what it's about. And like anyone can train and learn to do that. She's like, your work, you know, it invokes humor and emotion and like, you know, has all this stuff and like tells a story and that's what makes your work special and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, no, oh. uh, it, it was just really helpful. That's amazing. Yeah. That's, inc that's incredible. Have you, have you shared with her that you, that, that had that impact on you? No, you know, I thought about it a couple of times, but she like got married and then her name changed and like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how to like find her. <laughs> wow. And I don't think she's uh, at the school anymore. And I'm certainly not like, I'm certainly not going to like 
put the onus on you to do it. I will say that uh, my mom taught high school for 30 years. Yeah. And occasionally, even still, like a couple of years ago, she got one of these. After my dad had died and she moved back to the area where she grew up, this person went and, and found her. And like, it reached my mother at this kind of really critical moment where she was really in need of getting a message like that. And she was really in a spot where like, and I'm not, <laughs> I'm not like laying a guilt trip. I'm just saying that like, you would be amazed at the level of profundity that an act like that can have. Um, and it's yeah. not only that, like, even if you can just find a way for you to say thank you, like, that's an amazing gift. Yeah. Um, I'll, um, I think I can, uh, I'll do some more research. I think maybe I can, maybe I know someone who knows what part of the country did you grow up in, Chris? Uh, I'm in Connecticut. Okay, okay. And you just kind of stayed there your, your whole life? Uh, yeah, when I, was, when I was working as a designer, I was in Boston, but, you know, it's like two hours away. Sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, I basically lived in the lower peninsula of Michigan my entire life, and it's not a fascinating place to be unless you're in Detroit. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it's home, and we love it. Hmm. Um, I noticed that a lot of the stuff that you did early on, um, whether it was for work or even, like you mentioned, for pleasure— um, a lot of it was, I think the joke you had was, uh, making posters for bands that weren't a thing anymore. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, so, uh, it's, it seems like maybe music was an entry point for you in a way to kind of sort of meet those two worlds that you loved. What was that? What was that experience like? Um, I think, you know, in high school, I got really into, into music and like discovered punk and stuff like that. And I think it just really resonated with me and like, felt like, you know, it was like so different from everything else. And like, and then I saw some of the artwork associated with it and it just really, um, I don't know. It just really resonated with me and was something unique and different. And I, I think just the combination was, it was just like the things I liked. So, you know, it felt That's right to combine them. Of course. Yeah. And I, it's, it's interesting too. I think there's a real Venn diagram that happens with that, um, that art scene, and the like the skate scene and and punk and and it kind of it sort of ebbs and flows for a couple generations and they're willing to kind of reach back and so like the kids from the kids from the generation just a little bit younger than me that were really into like a lot of that like sort of southern california pop punk um you know we're willing to reach back and grab like you know joe strummer or paul weller and, and pull them forward and, and still kind of build their own thing. And at the same time, let it attach itself to this other sort of subculture without feeling precious about it. You know, hmm. a lot of times you'll see gatekeepers in these communities who are like, no, this is what punks do and punks do this. Yeah. And it seemed to me like there was kind of this um, interesting little uh, world there, a couple of different moments where there was this confluence of these cultures. Were you, was this a thing that you were involved in all, all parts of that, even though you didn't grow up in that area? Yeah, I think absolutely. Okay. Okay. So was that like, was that pretty defining in your like middle and high school? Experience? Yeah. I mean, that's like how I sort of associated. That was like what, how I saw myself as like someone like I, my identity was like, you know, being involved in that kind of thing. Yeah. And um, is that largely how you found your friend group? Yeah, for sure. Are those folks you still talk to? Um, a, a handful of them, yeah. I would say, um, yeah, a few of them. Uh, some more than others. I think one of them 
I do talk to you on a regular basis, but um, I'm still like somewhat in touch with others. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Um, talk to me about this idea of, of, I don't know if it's imposter syndrome or not thinking that work like this is a real job. Cause I think you and I have a similar experience in the way that we kind of have maybe a not completely healthy relationship with work. Mm-hmm. Like we really love doing it, but it, it can also be, I get the impression it can be all, all consuming for you based on a couple of things I've read and heard you say. Yeah, it absolutely. What's, is. What's, yeah. So, so what is that like for you in terms of the way that your relationship with work is maybe productive, but challenging? I'm, I'm constantly like, I struggle with, with time and feeling like there's like, there's no time. And I'm just like, there's always like so many things that I want to do. And I'm always frustrated with the amount that I get done. I always think like I, I should be getting way more done. Um, and you know, it's like, I think about it all the time. Like it's, I, I don't have feel any separation between like what I do for work. Like I don't, I'm not one of those people who like does their work and like checks out and whatever. It's like, you know, whenever I can. The boundaries, the the boundaries can be difficult, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, Especially when you work at home, even if it's a thing you love to do and want to do. Yeah. Because then personal space becomes workspace and vice versa. And the line becomes nebulous and sometimes utterly invisible. Yeah. Um, And, and that, you know, that, that not only makes work difficult, it makes, home life difficult. Like you have a, a two-year-old and, yeah. and a, you have a, you have a partner. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So like you have to devote, like they're kind of the reason that we're all doing this thing, right? Like yeah. I can come out here to my little 200 square foot shed, but like the thing that I'm doing this for is inside the house. That's 20 feet away, mm-hmm. you know? And like, it's easy to lose perspective on that, especially when you're doing work that's personal and, and feels purposeful. Yeah. Uh, at least for me. Um, so obviously, you know, you're sort of, you're sort of dealing with that balance, which I think we all have to deal with in some respect. Um, how does ADHD factor into that for you? And when, when did you kind of figure out that was what was really going on? It was definitely later in life. Um, I have such a hard time, like with time and like knowing how long things have been or like, I know it was in my thirties, um, trying to think about like when it happened, you know, I think it was maybe like 10 years ago. Um, and I think the only reason I, so I knew I had a lot going on. I was diagnosed with, um, anxiety before that. And, um, that was the result of like finding out that like both of my sisters and my mom all had anxiety and were all on medication for it. And they like, it came up, it was just like casually in conversation. And, and I was like the only one who was like not taking anxiety medication or something like that. And they're like, you don't, you don't have it. They're like, you're worse than all of us. And I, was like, I was like, well, I didn't know. I thought it was normal. So, well, yeah. yeah. I mean, you have that, you have that moment where you're like, Oh, ev- oh everyone doesn't feel like this all the time. You're not yeah. filled with abject terror 90% of your life. Yeah. I thought that's just what it was like to be awake. Yeah. So, you know, once uh, that got a little bit out of control and then the ADHD stuff, I, my sister had it and she was like talking about, um, you know, how like it was different for her. And I like was like, well, you know, I'll talk. And I went to my doctor and like, he talked to me for about it. And then like, 
he like gave me this like questionnaire and was like asking me all these questions and like very quickly he's like you have you very very much have ADHD and it, it is uh, astounding that you've gotten this far on your own and like I don't know I guess there's like all these things that I would do over the years to like just trick myself into doing things and it's like I don't know so that was real once I um found out I had it and then like started taking medication for it it was sort of like a just incredible change for me uh I'm so happy I'm kind of I literally am in the first year of this process ah. I have I have known probably since I was a teenager but again I grew up I mean I graduated in 1990 we didn't we didn't have this kind of clarity about it. We didn't talk yeah. about it like this. And it was, oh, Matt's hyper. Hmm. You know, Matt's Matt's fidgety. Um, Matt, Matt can't focus or can't uh, um, uh, apply himself. That was my favorite. Hmm. <laughs> um, and so I'd get some of that. And so I had like, you know, I would test really well, but my performance scores were, were poor because I didn't turn in homework or I didn't turn it in on time. Because hmm. like you, I wouldn't manage time or I wouldn't understand priority. And then everything's being done last minute and everything feels like a rush. And then you get panicky. And so literally the only reason I started getting any treatment for it at all was they were like, you know, the number one side effect or symptom of physical manifestations of ADHD in adult men is, is anxiety. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Oh yeah, I've had, I've had that for a while now and uh, yeah. it's not getting any better. Mm-hmm. So, but it's a process, man. Like you're messing with all kinds of chemistry and shit and I don't understand how it works, but yeah. it's a, uh, it's a wild thing to learn about yourself to like, um, like I was really struck when you were talking about the clock that you bought with the big red dial. Oh yeah. And I was like, I was like, Oh shit, I need to get one of those. Yeah. And it wasn't so much like what in the moment, like right now that I'm thinking about, it, I'm just like, no, I know that that would help because I know that I would use it. Mm-hmm. Um, how are you with systems? Like, is that a thing you use to, to sort of help you through I, that? I, so I, you know, I, things are system wise are not good for me right now. I'm in a kind of chaotic period. I think a lot of it is a result of this, um, how I've committed to this, the YouTube channel. And it's very, um, time consuming for me cause it's all like a learning process, but like, I just like go all in on things. Like I get, I get fully committed and like, I can't. So like, I, you know, for some reason, if I like commit to doing something and like, Oh, I'm always posting a new video on Tuesday. And then I like commit to doing the Friday ones. Like that commitment is very, feels very real to me. Like, it's like, I can't miss that. And it's, you know, all of my systems are like all out of whack because I'm just like, constantly rushing to like get everything yeah so it is when i started using the timer it was super helpful because for me it's hard to not just want to do something until it's done especially with client work and a lot of times you know managing several projects and like they have different deadlines and i'm working on a project and I, I don't need to take it to, I don't need to finish the entire project right now. I need to work on the other projects too. So if I like set a timer and say, I'm going to work on it for an hour and then I switch to a different project, you know, it's, it's super helpful when I actually do it. The problem is right. getting myself to do it. Yeah. And do it consistently. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah, I'll, I'll be like, I don't know about you, but I'll be great at that for five days. Yeah. That's, that's I'll be fantastic. And then like it will, Chris, it'll be something as stupid as, 
oh, that's in the way. I can't put my coffee there. Let me set this over here. Mm -hmm. And then I might come in the following Monday morning and go, shit, where did I put my timer? And go, oh, it's over there. And then start to do something else, completely forget about it. And then literally that's all it takes. And all of a sudden we have avalanched into, I'm never going to use that again. Yeah. Until I find it and it's going to save my life and I'm going to use it again for a week and the cycle shall repeat. Yeah. And, and it's learning how to go, okay, how do we unspool that shit so that we stop at, okay, after five days we hit a snag and we just go back to day four and we start again instead of going, let's, let's take six months before we reset. I know. And it's just like such a, um, I feel like there's such a small difference between the things that I'm like fully on board committed to and the things that I can't like, you know, the daily drawing project I did for 14 years, the, the YouTube channel, like I haven't missed a day since I started it. And like, but like, what's the difference between other stuff? Like, I don't know, I guess it's not as, as tangible. Cause there's other things that go along with like, um, I'm the only one who's benefiting from using the timer, I guess. You know what I mean? Like with the, right. with the drawings, and, like and at least people know, like I'm, I'm accountable to posting them. And that's, uh, that's huge. I mean, having like, even if it's an audience of one, yeah, having one other person that you've said, Hey, look, this is going to be up on Tuesday, come hell or high water. Yeah. You know, even if that person doesn't call you out on it, you're waiting for that to happen. Yeah. You're, you're expecting to hear from them. That, that pressure can be good, but it can also be overwhelming. It can also be like, how come I can't just tell that one person, Hey, it's going to be Thursday. Cause some shit went down. Yeah. And they wouldn't care. <laughs> right. But, but, and if somebody did that to you, what yeah. would your reaction be? Yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't care. Right. You wouldn't care. But for some reason you're not willing to give yourself that grace. No, not at all. Why? I don't know. No, I'm asking because I, I need somebody to explain it to me. Yeah, I have no idea. <laughs> oh, man, I, if, I like, really... You know, it's just chaos if that doesn't... like You know, what's the point? Because yeah. if I don't do it, if it's not Tuesday, then it's like if it doesn't, then nothing matters. Uh, well, and, <laughs> and why, why have I done it every Tuesday for the last however long? Yeah. And busted my ass. And now this is the one I'm going to take off. God, what, why, why am I so weak? I think that's also why the daily drawing project was so easy to keep going. Cause like those kind of projects are hard for like a 30 day challenge or like a hundred day challenge. Those are hard. But like, once you've done it for years, it's like, and you're like sick and you don't want to do it. And it's like, okay, but like I've done it for, you know, 400 days. Like I'm going to stop today. <laughs> right. Uh, it's a little bit like I had, a, I had a buddy and he tried like 20 different ways to quit smoking. This was like 25 years ago. And, uh, and finally he, on a dare, he and a buddy who were both trying to quit. And this was like, I don't know, late nineties. They both decided they were going to pay 125 bucks to go get hypnotized because nothing else had worked. Mm -hmm. And the only reason that my friend didn't start smoking again was every time he went to take out a cigarette it was going to be $150 of humiliation that he lit on fire <laughs> because it was going to be, not only did I waste 150 bucks, but I have to tell people I got hypnotized and I thought it was going to work and it didn't. Yeah. And so somehow in that weird reverse psychology way, it was effective. Mm -hmm. So he almost like quit out of the fact that like, Nope, it was just too spiteful to not give the guy 150 bucks and then let him be right. Yeah. I mean, sometimes that's all it takes. Um, you, 
I think the thing that I most admire about you in this short time I've been able to kind of watch your work and kind of get to understand who you are as a person is that you've maintained an incredible level of humility and sort of practicality about this idea of daily work, even though you've done you've done work for some enormously a level clients. <laughs> how do you how do you reconcile that and and sort of how do you stay grounded when you have that kind of thing and still go? I'm going to talk to this dude with a you know a few hundred Substack subscribers when I'm super busy. Like how do you how do you stay that kind of a dude? in a world where you could just, again, just keep chasing the work that pays the biggest bills? Well, you know, it always feels like, you know, they were like, it, sure, those projects happen, but like, who's to say there's going to be more? I don't know. Like, it just, maybe it was a fluke. I I, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I For some reason, it doesn't even occur to me. Like, I'm like, yeah, I did those projects, but like, I don't know. They don't feel like it's, for some reason, they don't feel the scale that they are sometimes. Like I remember I did this, uh, this project for, for McDonald's and like, I was looking at the contract and it was like, they were talking like the production levels for like the graphics that are printing on these like bags. And it was like 5 million. And I was like, Oh my God, 5 million. That's so many. They were going to, they're, they're going to print your work on 5 million bags. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, but I don't know what that has to do with anything. But, like, it still doesn't doesn't feel like, um, I don't know. In, in a way, do you think it's because that work, in terms of the way that you created it, isn't any different than day number 841? Yeah, I, I, I think about that often, that the work, none of my work feels any different to me, like, in terms of... Um, what it's for. Like, it's all sort of like the same thing. And also in terms of like big, like bigger high profile, like big budget clients versus like small project, there's such a disassociation with the pay for me because, you know, oftentimes it comes so far after I finish the project. Cause you know, like bigger projects, like 30 days, 45 days, sometimes 60 days, um, that the money doesn't feel like it's part of any one project is just like, you know, money comes sometimes, uh, but the, I have to do these things all the time. So like, it all feels like the same thing. Like just, and again, it's, yeah. it's all from showing up and going to work every day. Yeah, I guess. You know, I mean, the work, the work keeps getting paid for and the work keeps coming because you keep getting up to do the work. Hmm. Um, have you ever heard the, the Hemingway quote about that? Um, about the, the, there's a young man who's a, it's probably apocryphal, but this young man who's like a, a would-be writer meets Hemingway, and I don't remember if it's at a restaurant or a bar or an event or whatever, and he just says, Mr. Hemingway, do you only write when you're inspired? Oh, and yeah. Hemingway says, and he says, that's right, young man. He says, but I find inspiration arrives most mornings at 9 a.m. right at my desk. Yeah. Um, and I think it's a hell of a lesson. Um, probably other parts of that man's life you don't want to use as an object lesson, but that one's a good one. Yeah. You know, Um uh, Chris, I really, really appreciate you taking the time to do this so much. Um, of course. I'm really, I'm really inspired by your story and kind of the example of uh, what work can do if you sort of believe in it. And I'm really, I'm, I'm really also encouraged that, that we live in a world where you can do work that matters that's yours mm. uh, and that other places like McDonald's or Nike or Nickelodeon or whoever will come along and 
pay you for that and we'll give you that kind of exposure. Yeah, I mean, hopefully they still will. <laughs> hopefully they still will, even after you talk to me. Um, thanks so much for doing this, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Was illustrator Chris Piasek. I I really yeah I feel self conscious after listening back to that. I know you guys are going to give me a hard time about that, and that's okay. Um, that's also another thing I'm working on. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna do better on the intros and the context to make the guests feel more comfortable. But uh, I still think it was a really great interview. I think it was a great chat, great conversation. I think Chris is a really really great illustrator with a really interesting story and a really he's a really nice guy, and uh, he's doing really great work. And again. What else do you want? Somebody doing their own work, their own way, and having a shit ton of success with it. I don't know how you're going to get mad at that, and I don't know how you aren't going to respect that shit just every day of the week and twice on Sunday. Do the work. Believe in it. Get better. Good shit's going to happen. It may not be in the time frame that we want, and it may not be the rewards that we want, but good shit's going to happen. I promise you. Uh, I'm living proof of that. Um... Thanks again for being here. Thanks again for your support, your kindness, your encouragement. Um, I hope you're taking care of yourselves and each other. Uh, it's a weird time. I know we all think that, uh, you know, things are back to normal, but they're they're not. I mean, they were never normal, and they're less normal than they were before. But we'll be here to talk about it again soon. Keep going over to the Substack, whatamimaking.substack.com. My name is Maddie C. I love you very much. I'm super happy you're here. And I'll see you again real soon. Cheers, my friends. That there was a production of Medicine and his ADHD. Bye-bye.